Well, I'm not hearing, hearing the music, so I imagine that we are actually on board. And we're here today at the Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. And we're very excited to be here, as we always are, right here on Progressive Radio Network. And we'd like to bring you on board and welcome you, knowing that you actually can call in with your questions here on PRN, if you'd like, um, for myself, Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse, as well as our guest. And I'll give you that number in case that's something that you'd like to do. There is a special call-in number if you'd like to call in with your questions. And that call-in number is 888 874-4888. And I'm going to have to ask the producer if that number is somewhere online, if people go to prn.live, um, is that where you could look it up if you didn't catch it? And I'd like to invite you to visit our website for Dr. Eugene Zamperon and myself, and that is naturalnurse.com. We also have drznaturally.com. But if you go to naturalnurse.com, then you can join right in with us and find out all the things we have available for you. For instance, one of the best places to go when you get to naturalnurse.com is to classes and events, because that's where we have our upcoming classes. We have lots of archived classes, and that they are on Natural Nurse Academy. And all the classes on Natural Nurse Academy are eligible for CE units for any health care provider who needs a license. You know, sometimes you need CE units such as nurses, nurse practitioners, registered dietitians, um, other health care providers, acupuncturists, massage therapists. Those all get credits for taking our classes, which are listed at Natural Nurse Academy. And then if you go into classes and events, the same is true. We have lots of classes that have credits and we have lots of classes that are free. So I'll just tell you some of the ones coming up now that you can find at naturalnurse.com and just click on classes and events. So we have a free class coming up, which is about the Natural Nurse Herbal Certification course. The whole course starts in March, but this is in February, the free class where you can actually be live in a live um, online event. And for free, you can find out all about things like how do I learn to be an herbalist? What if you want to be an herbalist? What does being an herbalist mean to you? Does it mean knowing how to correctly use herbs for yourself and your family? Yes, you can use this class to do it. Does it mean you're a healthcare provider already and you would like to incorporate the use of natural remedies into your treatment protocols? Yes, you can take it for that. Does it mean you'd like to work on becoming an RH? An RH is a registered herbalist, which is the most recognized certification for herbalists here in the United States. Yes, this course will give you information and also credits that you could use towards your RH. You don't become an RH by taking one class. It's an involved process. But if you want to do herbs for yourself and your family, just taking the natural nurse herb certification course will get you there and then it also offers 18 CEUs if you are a professional of any kind such as a nurse a massage therapist an acupuncturist an NP um, etc so it's a fun class it's free so you just go to naturalnurse.com events and you will see there is that free online class the next class that's listed there has one ce unit and this is also free because it is being sponsored by nyu rory myers college of nurses so i am the instructor they are providing the class free you just have to email them to request the Zoom link. And if you are a healthcare provider, again, this offers one CE units, um, actually through Myers College of Nursing. So you can take it just for your own information. And it's about Hildegard weaving the tapestry of healing from the cosmic elements. So this incorporates things like herbal medicine, gemstone medicine, 
energy medicine and all the wonderful things that Hildegard taught so many, many centuries ago. She is really one of my heroes and I have deeply studied her work and will continue to do so. Now, we also have the Natural Nurse Herbal Certification course, the whole full course. And you can sign up for it now. It does usually close out. It does not start till March, but you can sign up now if you'd like. Also, each of those classes in the Natural Nurse Certification course are listed. Class one, two, three, and four. Each of them is about different topics in herbal medicine, such as botany and botanical nomenclature, how to use herbs for yourself and your family, the spiritual concept of communicating with plants. Each of those are available for one credit each, or you can take the full course for 18 CEUs. So just go to naturalnurse.com events to find out all this information. And you can always email me privately if you have any questions about all that. By the way, we also have Echo Tours for Cures, the education vacation in the island of Jamaica. And 2024 is already sold out for that and is a full credited course through Bastyr University. But nonetheless, you can find out about it and see if it's something you'd like to do and join us in the future. So tons of information. The other thing I haven't listed yet, but I do want to announce is that the Florida Herbal Conference is open for registration, the Florida Herbal Conference. We will have it on our website soon, but for now, you can actually just go ahead and Google Florida Herbal Conference. And that's, you know, both virtual, you can sign up for it virtually and attend the classes that way, or you can come join me and hundreds of people who are now back to attending in person. And this is in Florida at a lovely campgrounds with great food. We do a lot of herb walks, outside identification, gathering plants, and lots of fun community events like excellent music and dancing and fire ceremonies. It's an event. Even if you're not interested in herbal medicine, but you like that kind of lifestyle, just you will enjoy it. And that's a three-day event, March 1, 2, and 3. And I will be there. Many top herbalists will be there, like Seven Song. Seven Song, I know for you know, more than 40 years that we've been, let's say, herbalists together. And it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal event. And that is the Florida Herbal Conference. It's the 13th year we are having this event. I have lectured at almost all of them. And we'd love for you to join us. It's outside of Orlando, so even if you wanted to fly into it, Orlando is a super easy, accessible airport, and it's about one hour outside of Orlando. Of course, if you live in Florida, it's just a quick drive over. Orlando is super easy to get to, but this is out in the woods. It's not like in the city of Orlando. I'm just giving you that as a landmark about, you know, if you did want to travel. But if you don't want to travel, it's available virtually, and if you join virtually even if you're not there those days you have access to the online recordings i think for at least a year so those are some a few of the events that we have and of course we have so many one-on-one -on -one classes available if you are interested in doing holistic um, protocols in your practice if you are a professional that is one of the main things that I'm doing now as well as teaching all these herb classes so thank you so much for joining us today and we love to hear from you right here on the natural nurse and dr z and today we have a wonderful guest his name is Saad Harti, and he is the CEO and founder of legacy healthcare and legacy healthcare is an important word because that's how you would find him and his work. And Legacy Healthcare is a beautiful website that will also have a lot of the information that we will be discussing today. So sometimes people look things up while we're talking about it so you can follow along or we'll of course have the link live on our archives after the show, but it's legacyhealthcare, all one word, dot ch. So thank you so much for joining us today, Sadharti. Hi, how are you? Thanks for hosting me. 
Now, we did another show together, but this is a full hour, so we don't have to rush through answers, and we really have time to go deeply into what led you to do legacy healthcare. So let's start out by going back in time to see how you got to this project in your life. Sure. Uh, I have to dig into archaeology, but... <laughs> oh, archaeology is a good place to dig, right? Absolutely. No, so let, let's make it very simple. I mean, it really started from a personal experience. Uh, I grew up in, Mor in Morocco, North Africa. And uh, as far as I can recall, uh, in my childhood, we used to have, I mean, in the well, set of treatment that my parents used to, I mean, uh, to, to, to a child, and I would see them also use that, there is always, there was always a dual use of both, I would call them conventional drugs, synthetic drugs, uh, uh, as we know and we have, but also plant-based, I would call them remedies, because they were not actual uh, approved and registered drug. They were plant-based drug derived from traditional use, and that was basically something I grew up with. So it was, there was a natural cohabitation between two types of, of treatments, the synthetic drugs and the natural remedies. Uh, I moved to Europe when I was 18 to uh, pursue my studies. And the first time, I mean, rapidly I was confronted and, and realized that there was there was no dual system. There was only one set of, of modality, one modality available, which was the synthetic drug modality. At the time, there was no biological drug. Let's call them synthetic, just to make things simple. And that, that, that struck me, that, that there was no choice. And there was, no, there was nothing that we could use alternatively for this or that. There was one single, uh, 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 modality, which was synthetic drugs. So that was basically... Okay, wait, wait, wait. I want to stop you right there for one minute, sure. Mr. Sadharti, and reminding people they can look up more at legacyhealthcare.ch. I just want to venture that, unfortunately, from my perspective, even now, even now, when you go to most physicians, that's here in the United States, I don't know about where you are, the only thing they will recommend, only thing, will be a synthetic pharmaceutical. So I can't say that that's a was. I mean, that seems to be what is. You're absolutely right. It's, uh, you know, English is not my, my first language and my mother tongue. So sometimes I may, I may say things which I don't mean. Okay, <laughs> good <is> enough. <laughs> you're absolutely right. But that, that makes total sense. You go to a physician, the physician is here to diagnose disease and then choose what approved drug, what licensed drug is the most relevant for the disease that you have. And the only licensed drug are synthetic drugs. So it makes total sense. There, I mean, there is no issue about it, but that basically left me with this, I shouldn't say sour taste, but an odd situation, an odd feeling that I had no choice. Uh, and lo and behold, a few years after I started working in the healthcare uh, field, and in 2004, a regulation was put in place by FDA and the European Medicine Agency at the same time, which allowed this time to turn full plant extracts into prescription drug to treat diseases. So, so that's interesting. So let me stop there, because actually I would say... So you're saying there was a specific rule saying that herbal extracts could be, after certain testing and, and standardization, et cetera, be actually called prescription drugs. Correct. So the, the, the regulation is, uh, uh, means that plants, if you can show that a plant or a mixture of plants can treat a disease, just like any other drug, under the same standard and the same constraints and the same scrutiny, you can call that a treatment 
and go to the FDA to get an approval. Just like so you're, talk, so you're talking about the FDA. So what is that? What is that program called that an herb could go through to then be considered a prescription? It's called botanical drug. If you Google botanical drug FDA, it go it's gonna get, guide you straight to the page of the FDA where they explain what a botanical drug is, and there is a guideline which is available to anyone explaining how and what what are the standards that you need to uh, 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 meet to get a drug approved. So a botanical drug. In a drug dossier, when you file the drug for approval, you have three parts. You have the clinical part, which shows the efficacy of the drug. That's no different from synthetic drug. A botanical drug needs, I mean, has the same burden of proof as any other drug, whatever it makes of, if it's made of. You have then the non-clinical part, which is the toxicity. I mean, we can go in more detail here, but you have to show that this plant uh, or the plant composition is not toxic, just like any other drug. The, 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 the specific part, which is different in a botanical drug versus synthetic drug, is what is called the quality or the CMC, which stands for chemical manufacturing and control. And there is a reason for that, which is very easy to understand. One of the great benefits of a synthetic drug is replicability. If you make a synthetic drug, a synthetic molecule today, and you make it in three years, according to the same manufacturing process, you're guaranteed more or less to have the same product. That's the stability. That's the remanence. Plants is different. I mean, uh, take everyone who's involved into this call and listening. We all share 99% of our genes and of, of our heritage. But look how different we are. Nature doesn't make anything standardized. That's wait a minute. That is a very interesting uh, thing you just said. Nature does not actually make things standardized. That's true because there's always a discussion, even in the herbal industry, is it better to take something that's a full spectrum, which is going to have all the naturally occurring constituents, or standardized where we're measuring and guaranteeing one specific natural chemical in a particular amount? So you're right. It doesn't usually come that way. Exactly. So actually, it's very interesting because we have here to give credit to FDA because they have put together a first regulation in 2004 and very little. I mean, I think only two botanical drugs got approved in, in a matter of 10 years, which is almost nothing. So it relates to the fact there is little money available to, to, to the companies making botanical drugs. That's one, because I mean, Developing a drug takes, it's extremely expensive. I mean, we're talking tens of millions of dollars. So that explains why there has been a very small number of botanical drugs, but it doesn't explain it all. The other element which explains the scarcity of botanical drugs available is the fact that the regulation as it starts was not adapted. I think that, I mean, I, I don't think this is how it was, but basically the first regulation was more or less the same as for synthetic drug, except that they have put more or less the word botanical in front of the word drug. So you were expected to show that your plant-based drug was always the same, which is practically impossible because as I said, and as we know, and as we can observe, nature doesn't make, never standardize things. So there is always a natural variability Although you will pick the same the same plant for the same tree in the same season for the same branch even like the closest fruit you can get in a in, in a tree, they will be different. They, they will have I, would, I will use some easy to grab uh, uh, terms here, but you if you put that through a chromatograph, you will have the same peak at the same place, more or less. So what but, you're saying, I just want yes. to bring this to where people can understand who are listening, because what you're saying is really important. And this is Mr. Saad Hartiz, the CEO and founder of Legacy Healthcare. And we're going to start talking about a specific plant that he brought through the process and made a very excellent botanical drug, which is an interesting group of words to put together. So he's explaining to us how we can say botanical and then drug. 
because you have to go through this process. And did you say, Mr. Harty, that there's only two plants that have walked through this entire process established by the FDA so that they could be called a botanical drug? I think one had just been approved a few days back, so we can say three. Okay. <laughs> and, okay. And they're and they're all uh, uh, derived from a single plant, uh, and only three made it. And that's true. That one of the reason why it's it was an extremely difficult task is showing that showing that things were identical, where while the starting point, their their starting material was different, was merely impossible. But FDA has revised and adapted its guidelines to the reality. So right now, and the guideline is, is almost, uh, I mean, can be understood by even, I mean, not people not belonging to the, to the pharma industry. What it says is because plants have a natural variability and that's almost the starting word in, in the guideline, somewhere in the guideline, because of this natural variability, what the sponsor has to show, the company developing the drug has to show, is that this natural variability will not have an impact on the efficacy of the drug as it has been observed in the clinical trials. So it totally changes the paradigm. You don't need to show that something which is variable is identical, which is impossible. You need to provide what is called a totality of evidence. I'm quoting the guideline here, a totality of evidence to demonstrate that you will be able to guarantee a clinical efficacy one batch after the next, despite the fact that what is in there is known to be slightly variable. So, and explaining how to do it. They're not just telling you, look, do it and come back. They're saying how to do it. They say, make sure that when you use, the, in the plant you use, make sure they always come from the same place. They are harvested at the same time. Check them every time you process them. So it starts by the raw material, trying to make sure that although you cannot manufacture your plants in a factory, make sure that where you pick them, where you collect them, where they are harvested, etc., there is a certain level of standardization in what you do. And then, so, of course, you're, you're working in a, a very high-end laboratory, so you can do testing to be sure you're getting that fingerprint of the correct plant. We're going to have to take a little break right here. Sure. And um, just to talk about our natural medicine chest. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Sadharti. And I definitely want to go into the fact that he successfully walked through the development of a specific botanical drug, which has been shown to be very useful for people who have alopecia, which is um, a, sort of a disease name for hair loss of specific type. So we will talk about this when we get back. And you can always find us at naturalnurse.com. You can find Dr. Harty at legacyhealthcare.ch with all of this work that he's describing. So we will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. On this edition of The Natural Medicine Chest, we'll discuss the essential oil taken from the Australian tea tree. The tea tree, known as Melaleuca alternifolia, grows in only one region of the world, the northeast corner of Australia. It is a full-sized tree of the myrtle family, whose oil has powerful abilities to clean and help heal wounds and skin ailments such as cuts, burns, and rashes. In 1770, the infamous Captain Cook was a lieutenant in the British Royal Navy when his ship landed in Australia. The botanist on board, Sir Joseph Banks, collected samples of a sticky aromatic leaf and brought them back to England for further investigation. In 1923, an Australian curator and chemist, Dr. Penfold, 
conducted a study on tea tree leaves and discovered that their essential oils are 13 times stronger as an antiseptic bactericide than carbolic acid, considered the standard in the early 1900s. The oil contains 50 to 60 percent terpenes, 6 to 8 percent cineol, which causes its camphor-like odor, and several kinds of alcohols. In 1933, the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, the American Journal of the National Medical Association, and the British Medical Journal reported that tea tree oil is a powerful disinfectant, non-poisonous, non-irritating, and has been used successfully in a very wide range of septic conditions. Australian tea tree oil is mentioned in the British Pharmaceutical Codex of 1949, the UK Medicine List, and the Dispensary of the United States. During World War II, tea tree oil was considered a standard issue item for all first aid kits for Army and Navy units in tropical regions. The demand for tea tree oil exceeded the supply. However, after World War II, synthetic drugs gained in popularity and the use of tea tree oil in medicine waned. In more recent times, a renewed interest in natural, non-toxic alternatives has triggered a resurgence in tea tree oil research. In 1985, Dr. Paul Belache, chief of the phytotherapy department at the Faculty of Medicine, University of Paris, worked on several double-blind studies involving tea tree oil and its application as a remedy for candidiasis, chronic cystitis, staph and strep infections, and nail bed fungus. He stated, and we quote, the essential oil of Melaleuca has entered the team of major essential oils and emerges as an antiseptic and antifungal weapon of the first order in phytoaromatherapy. Try a few drops of tea tree oil in a steam vaporizer and inhale for blocked sinuses or rub the oil on chest and back for a cough. The Australian Journal of Dentistry reported that using tea tree oil in dental hygiene and in surgery showed it to be an extremely effective antiseptic. Add a drop on your toothbrush or include it as a gargle and mouthwash. Tea tree oil can be applied directly to the skin. Although it's possible that some people may experience a mild allergic reaction, in-depth research has shown tea tree oil to be non-irritating and safe. So listeners, think about including tea tree oil, the first aid kit in a bottle, in your natural medicine chest. So we're back right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z, and we invite you to visit us at naturalnurse.com. We also have Facebook, The Natural Nurse, Instagram, The Natural Nurse, where we have, I don't know, 21,000 people saying things there. Um, but I really like to suggest naturalnurse.com because that's where we have in-depth and it stays in one place. You know, I'm old-fashioned. When you put it on Instagram, it's there and try to find it next week. But be that as it may. At naturalnurse.com, you can find out how to sign up. We also have links to our shows here at Progressive Radio Network and other shows we do. We do one called Herbally Yours, which is also a podcast. And Dr. Z has other shows in Connecticut. So we have tons of free information there. We have thousands of articles about all different aspects in holistic living. So we invite you to visit naturalnurse.com. And our guest today is Had Sarti. He is the founder and CEO of Legacy Healthcare. They have a beautiful website with lots of information at legacyhealthcare.ch. And I know he was disconnected, but are you back? I am. Can you hear me? Good, good. good. He's back. Yes. So now we'll just continue our discussion because you had already described to us in depth the fact that there is a path that's actually called botanical drug creation. So I have one question. Once you find a specific plant and you go through this, I mean, it's a hugely expensive process which is, I'm sure, one of the reasons we don't have more botanical drugs. This is not, you know, a few dollars by any means. Lots of zeros there, lots of time, lots of study 
that have to be done to meet all these regulations. Once that happens, I have a question. This same plant that you studied, which we'll talk about, can it still be sold as a dietary supplement as an herb? Or does it then become restricted to strictly the sale through the botanical drug category? Um, I have no direct answer to that. Okay. Because we have developed our 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 plant combination because we have four plants as a drug. That's our intention. Uh, but I would suppose that. Uh, I would put it this way: FDA is very, at least in the US, you are what you say you are. Meaning, if you in, if you claim that you treat a disease, then you have to be a drug. Let's assume you use the same four plants or one plant, and you don't claim to treat a disease, but you have a dietary supplement type claim. I suppose you can stay, keep, keep using the product under the status. So, I guess it's all a matter of claim of and what and what supports the product. But why what you say here could be relevant, and there is a disposition there in the guideline, let's assume a plant has been used extensively for decades or centuries even for the, the, the treatment of an ailment. And someone says, you know what, now I want to call it a drug to treat that, that disease because there is enough evidence from traditional use. There is a way to turn something which has been used casually without making a drug claim as a traditional use in, in the past into a drug with the, uh, I mean, with a licensed claim. I think there is a pathway for that. But again, you need to prove it. So you need to run clinical trials. There is a lot you still need to do. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the clinical trials you ran and the outcome and the exciting news for people who sure. have alopecia. Let's first describe what is alopecia. Maybe not everyone knows that term. Correct. So alopecia is a, 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 a name which covers several types of disease related to hair. So this alopecia is any disease where you have a, 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 a hair disorder. Basically, you have hair falling when you're, done, you're not expecting them to fall in a nutshell and not growing back where you should be expecting them to grow back. So the most common form of alopecia is something we call AGA, which stands for androgenetic alopecia, which I would say half of male would have by the age of 50. And this is related to your heredity, to hormones. And this is not even considered as a, as a disease. I mean, this is something most men live happily with without any issue. The, uh, uh, the, I would call it the pathologic alopecia is called alopecia areata. And this is an autoimmune condition. Uh, saying if you Google that, you will see pictures. Pictures speak by themselves. Alopecia areata manifests by loss, random loss of hair, by patches or full, full hair loss on your scalp. So imagine you're losing uh, patches of hair totally randomly on your scalp. I'll let you imagine how you could look like. So this is a highly disfiguring condition. It's not life-threatening, but people who suffer from that, especially children, basically have their life in brackets for the whole period where, this, where, the, where, where the disease is, this, this disease is active. So data uh, have shown that this disease is as uh, concerning and even more concerning that many skin conditions like psoriasis or atopic dermatitis, this is probably one of the most disfiguring uh, uh, skin disease which can be. So this is an issue. This is not a lifestyle thing. This is a, a, a genetic disease. Now, why does it happen? Alopecia areata is an autoimmune condition. So what happens is at some point in time, like in any autoimmune condition, you have cells which are supposed to protect you from pathogen, like T cells, leukocytes, which leave the place where they're supposed to be, like the blood vessels. They go out. I mean, they should go out from time to time when a pathogen shows up. But in this case, they go out while they shouldn't be out. And uh, there is no pathogen to attack. And they start attack attacking healthy cells. In the case of this disease, they attack the hair cells and they destroy the, the keratinocytes, which are the uh, which is the, the what the hair is made of, 
and therefore the hair falls and doesn't grow back. So this is an autoimmune attack on hair follicles. This is what alopecia areata is about. So, so it's not a it's not a it's not a life threatening condition, but it does uh, interfere with quality of life. Dramatically, I mean, uh, now it's well documented. I mean, it took a while, but now I mean, payers, uh, uh, health authorities do consider this disease as a, 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 a life altering disease the same way they have considered uh, uh, dermatitis or psoriasis as life-altering diseases. So it's not, it's not different. As I said, there is data even showing it is more affecting the, the, the life of the people who suffer from it. So since this is an autoimmune disease, the, the strategy that many drug developer has used for this disease is to treat it with uh, 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 immunosuppressant drugs, which is absolutely rational. You have an autoimmune condition, you shut down your immune system or the function, the immune function of your, of your body one way or another, and all of a sudden your hair grows back, for sure, because you don't have any longer this autoimmune attack. But the flip side is you put people into an immunosuppressed situation, which makes them uh, vulnerable to uh, uh, all sorts of things and more vulnerable than any other person, healthy subject. So two drugs got approved recently, and we have to acknowledge and, and really appreciate the fact that it is, this is a great advance. These drugs belong to a class of drug called JAK inhibitors. So uh, they, they act on the pathway where the communication between the, uh, uh, I would call it the crazy immune cell uh, uh, do not any do not attack any longer the healthy cell, but in parallel they leave the body prone and vulnerable to threats. So those drugs come with something called a black box. Uh, this is available. Uh, the black box the warning. The black box oh, yeah. warning. Yeah, okay. which is so pretty intense. Right. Exactly. So because they came with a black box warning, health authorities have decided that their safety, or the, I should say their toxicity, uh, 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 makes them not fit for all patients. So they have decided that these drugs should be used only by the most severely affected patients. So if you put it uh, uh, from a practical standpoint, you would need to lose all your hair or most of your hair to start using these drugs. So. Imagine you're a fireman and people are telling you, no, 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 don't intervene. Let the house burn down. Then you can start, <laughs> you can start, uh, uh, I mean, putting your, uh, the water, which makes no sense from a medical standpoint. These diseases need to address early to precisely avoid disease progression. And this is where our drug make a difference, a first difference. When you use plants which are non safe for human use, the likelihood that you're going to trigger toxicity is close to nil. So health authorities are very confident that this drug can be given early in the disease. Basically, the benefit risk warrants that. There is few, I mean, the risk is, 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 is little enough that you can use it early in the disease. So our drug is the only one which has been so far allowed to be used early in the disease, which means that we can treat patients early and prevent them from, from becoming severe. Not only this, but the safety of the drug was such that health authorities in Europe have accepted the start development of this drug in kids before adults, which they never do. Drugs has, are always first developed in adults to test for toxicity, and once their toxicity or absence of toxicity is confirmed, you can move to kids. This is the reverse, what happened with us. We start in kids, and there is a rational for that. The life of the kids who have this disease is, is in shambo, I mean, it's in rubble. So you, they are, more, they are the, the, the group of patients who are the most in, needs, in need. So this is why also we started in kids. And that, you can easily and rapidly make the connection between the relevance, at least from a safety standpoint of using plant extract and using it in the most vulnerable population. 
So well, let's is. talk. Let's talk about the herbs. What made you select? What is the main active herbally, and what are the other plants in this botanical drug? So typically, here you state the main uh, the main uh, active. Okay. The whole the whole reason we use full plant extract is precisely because there is not a main one and a secondary one. You precisely use full plant extract because you want all those metabolites to be present because some have an effect now, somehow will have an effect later, some have an effect combined with others. So precisely, we don't, we're not looking at one single mechanism. And that's also the medical and the scientific interest of having those four plants. I'm going to explain why we choose them. But bottom line, this is not a single target drug. Most drugs have a single target. They are made of a single compound, be it scientific or biologic, but they hit one single target with a very strong selectivity, but one single target. The approach with botanical drugs is different. You want to hit as many targets as you can, not necessarily with a very strong selectivity. You may say, oh, but you're going to miss the effect. Not really. This is why we're targeting chronic condition, because you have time to treat the patient. And because there is, and the fact that this is not a super strong selectivity, this is what makes it safer. So it's a different approach. It's a very it's different safer. approach. And I would guess it's much better in terms of side effects. And, and you know what? When you ask patient and physician, they love it. Why? It worked. Yeah, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably take, let's put it this way, a synthetic drug will be faster for the same disease, definitely. We can see that. But Where, what about the adverse effects? That's the thing. It takes us six months to get where the synthetic drug gets in three months. So ask people, would you prefer a drug which takes six months to act, but you can be completely, completely sure that there will be no harm? or something that's going to work in three months, but you have no clue, and that's a black box, and you have no clue what's going to happen in the future. That's a reality, no matter what everyone says. Second aspect, and even say more importantly, what we discovered from our drug is even when you stop it, the effect continues. While the other, you stop it, you lose all your hair back again in six weeks or in something like that, eight weeks. Why? Because the way this drug works, is progressive and it doesn't just switch on and off like most drugs do. It creates progressively the condition for the root cause of the disease to clear. So there are many advantages to the approach. This is a Absolutely. totally new way to make drugs. So, so it is a combination from what I can see from your website actually of things that people have heard of such as onion, lemon, cocoa, and guarana. And I'm sure they're put together, like you said, in a very, very specific way. But are you accessing these raw materials always from the same location so they stay rather similar in terms of their metabolic profile? Not only this, but you just don't buy those from the market, I would say. The the the. The, the, the growers you have to and the suppliers you have to work with, uh, they need to uh, uh, grow that according to something called GACP, which stands for Good Agriculture and Collection Practices, which is basically the GMP for plants. And that is, I mean, that takes a lot of work. It's, it's a totally new way to work. And this is why also a lot of uh, players and the industry have not necessarily went into that. Imagine you have to sit with a, with a farmer and tell him, you know what, I'm going to buy you onion. But this is the list of requirements you have to, to abide by, because that has to be like a GMP onion I'm buying from you. And this is not something these people are ready to do. I mean, they are making this by the tons and, and for the food industry, which has a totally different set of requirements, much, much lower bar. So you need to explain them what you want to do that. You need to embark them with you, educate them. But then, I mean, and, become, and they become partner of your development, because you cannot just supply from someone else the next morning. You can have a, a certain number of them, but it's, it's again, every step we have went through with this drug was new. We have to build our own infrastructure and our own ecosystem one step after the next. But we got there. I mean, we tested this drug. 
the clinical trial results were outstanding. They were presented in major congresses lately, and the drug has been filed for approval in Europe. So it's it's there. It's not we're not talking of a theoretical thing here. We're talking of a practical thing. Uh, we already have requests of compassion choose of people who want to use this drug out there before it's even approved. So hopefully if things go fine before the end of the year, this drug should be licensed and approved in Europe. And, 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 and then we can turn to FDA and, 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 and go to, to try to get it approved in the US. So where so, is it approved now? What, what country is it approved in now? No, it's approved nowhere. It's, uh, it's still it's working on it. Yeah, exactly. It's been filed for approval. Uh, so that's the, le- the, the last stage uh, uh, of, of, of a drug, of a drug uh, development. That's when you file for approval, and this has been done in Europe. Okay, Just so recently. that's great. So then yeah. once, once it would be uh, approved in Europe, then you might also be able to get it approved in the U.S., Correct. So we have already started a dialogue with the, uh, with FDA. Uh, we understand what they want to see in the in the dossier we need to file. So we're working on it. So and again, as I said, I, I think FDA more than anywhere anywhere else, they really nailed it down. The regulation is extremely uh, sensible. It has been made to fit with the reality of those plans. So I think that in the US, better than anywhere else, there should be more botanical drug in the future if if there is money to develop them. Because taking a drug to market, I mean, developing a drug from the discovery till it gets to the market, I mean, this is something even as a biotech, as a single drug company, you know, it's it's something which takes probably between 100 and 300 million dollars. Yes, that is true. 100, right? So it needs, it needs a lot of money. I mean, and this money doesn't come from uh, grants. I mean, this money comes from venture capital, from investors, from, from the pharma industry as well. And, and this is probably where my message is the most important. What we've demonstrated with this first drug in alopecia is the ability of a mixture of four plants to treat properly, better than, than their synthetic cousin, I would say, a complex autoimmune disease. And so it's much safer. So we're going to take yeah. another little break here. I hope you don't disappear again like last time, but we're going to take another little break here so that PRN, which is Progressive Radio Network, and you can always find our show at prn.live, or go ahead and just Look under any podcast app that you have and put in the natural nurse and Dr. Z, and then you will get our show every single week because you can subscribe to it. And we have, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of these shows available online. So we're going to allow our uh, wonderful station, Progressive Radio Network, to have some words here, and we'll be right back with more right here on the natural nurse and Dr. Z. More right here on Progressive Radio Network. Thank you for joining us today. And we are speaking with our guest, Dr. Saad Harti, who I think is discussing something that will evolve in the future into a much bigger industry, which is called botanical drugs. So meanwhile, um, although we're discussing it, people can look up on LegacyHealthcare.ch, but there's no way to actually get this drug at this time. Is that true? Correct. This is just like any drug. As long as it's still under development, it's it's not approved and licensed by health authorities, you cannot get it. Okay, so would it be possible for you to release it, in fact, as a dietary supplement until such a time as it becomes a registered pharmaceutical, a botanical drug? So it's actually this one I didn't put, mention that, but it's a topical product. It's not a, a an oral product. It's okay. To be a skin, exactly. And you know, actually, I mean, uh, uh, practically speaking, since it's a plant-based product and applied to the skin, yes, you could practically theoretically make it available as a, a as a non-drug because it's a plant-based. But uh, in this case, you can't you can't make any drug claim. It can't be right. in the hand of because if you want to get it in the hands of patients, 
I mean, you need to claim, you need to have a medical claim, doctors need to know it exists, and therefore it's not much more to do that. You, need, you really need to get to the point that you have the health authorities validation, the proof of efficacy in control trial. So that's the big difference. As long as it's not uh, licensed as a drug, it will only be available to few people who know what they're doing or look for themselves, etc. So this will remain confidential. So in your tests, have you found any kind of adverse effects? You found lots of positive effects, like what? What positive effects have you found? And are there any adverse effects that you have found? Sure. So the, the primary, what we call the primary endpoint of the trial is basically that your, that your drug regrow hair or not. <laughs> as simple as that. So yes, the, the drug does regrow hair. As That's big. Fact, <laughs> That's very yeah, big. As, and as a matter of fact, in, in the, the people who are under placebo lost more hair. So not only it regrew hair, but it prevented more hair loss. Because, you know, in many trials, you always have a certain level of placebo effect. So people, you give them placebo, they respond to placebo, and you see some effect with the placebo, and you want to see a bigger difference in the drug group versus placebo. Here, not only there is a difference, which is statistically significant, meaning the trial worked, but the placebo people are, are worsening. And unfortunately, that's what happens with this kind of disease, especially in people who are at the mid-stage of the disease. So it worked. Not only this, but people also, when they reported their quality of life, there is an improvement in their quality of life, which is correlated to the efficacy of the drug. Because at the end of the day, that's what you want. These people have a deteriorated quality of life. You want to get their quality of life back to where it was or better. And the drug does that. And I would say that the most striking effect what we have seen from the drug is even though you stop the treatment, and we did this for six months after the treatment period, so we treated pe people for six months. This is where we observed the effect of the drug. And then we stopped the drug for six months and the placebo as well. And everything was blinded, meaning no one knows what, not, neither the patient nor the physician knew who got what from the beginning till the end, during the six-month treatment and during the six-month without treatment. And what we saw is although you stop the treatment, there is a continuation of an effect. So people keep experiencing the benefit of the drug. Why? Because the drug didn't only switch on and off a altered mechanism. It changed and it, it, it has somehow healed the physiological processes by which the disease happens. And this is, if we take a broader picture and we move on just from the disease we're trying to treat, if we can, and if this drug has done that, maybe other plants for other diseases may achieve something comparable eventually. And they so certainly do, but we, we actually have to end right here. So thank sure. you so much for being our guest today. That was a wonderful explanation. And I would suggest people go to Legacy Healthcare, all one word, dot ch, and we will have a live link. And that's very exciting research. Thank you so much for all the money time, energy that you and your company have put into creating this botanical drug. And as soon as it really is available, let's do another show about it. Thank you so much. With pleasure. Thanks for, Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us once again right here at The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. We bring you lots of information at naturalnurse.com. And until next time, we're hoping that you stay healthy.